0: So we have made our way to Unit 8 of God's Economics, and Unit 8 is ministry and money. Hallelujah. It's another aspect of God and money that we have to talk about. So how ministries are supposed to conduct themselves according to the pattern of the Bible, according to the pattern of Jesus, the plumb line of God who was sent, and He is our perfect example of how God wants things done. So if you are are one who is called into ministry or you're already running a ministry, hopefully out of this particular unit, you'll get some information that will help you align the way that you conduct your ministry with the ways of the Bible, the ways of God. Um, or if you are one who is not called to ministry, but you are looking at ministries and trying to assess you know, if they're doing things biblically or not, or you just want to have biblical understanding of how these things happened, then this is the unit for you. Now, part of the reason that this is so important is that false teachers mishandle money. So that's one element. We'll get into that a bit and a little later on in the unit. Um, But also, Currently, today, uh, there are so much. There's so many business techniques that have made their way into, particularly, I would say, the American church. Now, this is something for me that has really been highlighted by the Lord. Because remember, in my life before walking with God in a deep way, I was a business person. So I know the techniques of this world. I know Babylon's techniques, and I was good at them. I was a banker. I made money as a banker. I, w- I-, I excelled at the ways of Babylon. But then I came in to the body of believers. I came into the church, you know, and Jesus, he had me give away everything I own, live by faith. He told me to meditate on the word day and night. And so I'm there meditating on the word day and night, just like God had told me to. And I'm I'm observing the biblical way of handling things. But then I was in a church at that particular time that the way they conduct themselves, and this was a pretty big church, and, you know, they, they did it all in the name of good stewardship, but everything about the way they conducted their business was all of the same techniques that God was at the same time having me repent of and saying, no, that's not the way that I do it. Okay. To me, he's saying, no, repent. That's not the ways of God. That's the way of the world. I know it seems logical and it seems like it works, but that's not God's way. So he's on the one hand, he's having me repent. And at the same time, I'm looking at the church and the church is doing all of the stuff that God is telling me not to do because it's not his way. And unfortunately, especially because of money and giving or people receiving money. People in the West, the Western culture has permeated the ideals of many ministries in various parts of the world because they're taking all of the business techniques of, well, this is how you do it, and they're calling it stewardship of God. They're putting God's name, Jesus' name, on the techniques of Babylon. And it's all, it's all just ludicrous. Um, and it's very disheartening and very sad to me. So, if you're just a simple pastor out there in the nations happening to listen to this, and you've rejected all that Western theology about how you're supposed to run your ministry because you know that it's the ways of the world and not the ways of God, then I salute you. Hallelujah. You know, and keep on with the ways of God. Live by faith. Don't ask anyone for anything you need. Just trust God. He will absolutely supply all that you need. Follow the ways of God. Go in the way of faith. The righteous will live by faith. Hallelujah. All right. So we got to talk about this. This is an important issue. Ministry and money. The opening scripture here is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So that imagery is when an ox would tread out the grain, basically an ox would get a yoke put on its shoulders so that it could carry the weight and the burden of the weight that you needed the strength of the ox to do. And it would carry around the millstone. And so the millstone would be grinding the grain down into a flour. But the ox, you know, if you muzzle the ox, the ox is doing hard labor. It's carrying a heavy load while it's producing. Food And so to put a muzzle on the ox so that it can't eat any of the food that's being produced, well, that's like trying to drive your car with no gas in the tank, okay? Don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Make sure that ox that's doing all this work for you, make sure that it's well fed. Because if your ox passes out from starvation and can't walk around your millstone to make flour for you anymore, guess what? You're going to go hungry. Thank you. All right, so this is what the law of Moses says. You shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. It is, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? So Paul is saying, you know, this is true in the law, but God is also, this is a metaphor for someone who is called into the ministry. They are carrying a heavy load. They are working hard to produce spiritual food for you, that is bringing you to the point of eternal life, nourishing your soul so that you can endure to the end and be saved, okay? So he's saying, it was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And this is in that series of passages, where, and we'll talk more about it, but where Paul is talking about making sure that those. Who are doing the work of the Lord are well supported. That's what he's talking about when he's using the analogy of don't muzzle the ox when it's treading the grain. So, the first thing, first and foremost, always, always, point A, we talked about this in Unit 2. You can go back in your study guide, Unit 2. Point E, not point three, so 2E3, that's how you can find it, is Jesus' example. Jesus was in ministry for three years on earth. He is our example. Jesus is perfect theology, perfect applied theology. Jesus is Is the word of God on two feet? So it's really wise for us to have an understanding of what Jesus did and how he did it. So we did talk about this in Unit Two. I'm just going to give us a quick recap. So during the years of his ministry, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus, the Son of God, was totally like a child dependent on God's provision. He did not have a big bank account. He was raised by poor parents. He was totally dependent on God's direction and God's provision. When he started to travel around with the Twelve, he received hospitality. So in various places that he would travel to, there were hosts who would host him. So when he talks about bring the stranger into your house, and another part of the scripture says you might even be entertaining angels, right? But he, Jesus himself, the Lord, God in the flesh, received hospitality from human hosts who opened their homes to receive him, to give him a place to lay his head as he was out proclaiming the kingdom of God of God, forgiveness of sins, mercy of God, the good news of the kingdom. He received hospitality from generous people who opened their homes to to house him and to support him. He was also supported by wealthy women out of their own means. Luke makes a special point of highlighting that they were women. I'm sure Jesus was also supported by wealthy men, but Luke highlights the women specifically. So those who had an eye, hey, that that teacher, I want to support him. He is the one. He is the one proclaiming the real message. I want to make sure he has everything that he needs. He has saved me. He has helped me. He has taught me. I need to support him and make sure he is amply supplied having everything he needs to do the work that God has called him to. So you start to see how when everyone's doing their part, we start to be like Jesus and really representing him in the world because we're doing it his way. Um it when time came and it and it was needed in order for him to show compassion and mercy and to feed the poor, to feed the masses, God was available to provide miracle bread and fish. And this still happens today. I have been in places deep, deep in African villages, Indian villages, various places where there's not a lot, and the the hosts have prepared a meal, but it's not enough for the people who are there. And we pray over the food, and we marvel and are amazed to see that the food goes on and on and on, and it feeds the people until they are full. There is always enough Jesus, he procured miraculous bread for like 20,000 people. Okay, I've never done that much, but I have seen God's hand move to feed with food that was not enough for the crowds that were there. God multiplied it and made sure that everyone had their fill to the full. He also, he paid taxes. We talked about that. He procured miraculous uh, temple tax money from the fish's mouth. But he also, and here's what we're going to talk about more. He sent his disciples out with no money bag, no extra provision to learn to be totally dependent on God, just like he was. And he sent his disciples out to give freely what they had received freely. So that's just a recap. That's a reminder from unit two that um, so you can go back and study that again if you want. Now that you've got the full extent of the course under your belt, you can go back and see how all of these things start to fit together. All right, so when we start talking about the Twelve, we do see that the apostles that Jesus called, they left everything to follow him. He was their absolute highest priority, and they left their businesses, they left their families, they left their earthly inheritances, they left everything because they recognized that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God, that He is the one that was promised that will crush the head of the serpent, who ushers humanity in to eternal life and the world to come, and so nothing of this world could ever possibly compare. Nothing in this world is worth holding on to when Jesus is standing right in front of you. All right, so let's just look at their example of they gave up their businesses in order to follow Jesus. From Matthew 4, starting with verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So you see, immediately. Now, some of you have been called into ministry and the Lord has called you. He has said, come and follow me. And you have said, yeah, okay, I'll do it in like five years after I've got enough money in the bank. And then, you know, then I'll be free to to serve God. Okay. If that's you, you need to stop what you're doing and obey God. You're making an excuse. You're putting off. The, what, what did we talk about in a prior segment? Do not put off the good that you're supposed to do today. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. Do it now. All right. That's some of you that are hearing this right now. The apostles, they had the right response. When Jesus says go, immediately drop everything that you're doing and go. Okay? That's it. If you really understand who Jesus is, that is the right response. It's not about whether you have a savings account to be able to pay for the ministry that God has called you to. That's not what it's about. Jesus will pay, God will pay for everything that you possibly need as you go along with Him. He does say count the cost. I'm not saying it's not costly. I'm saying it is costly, but it is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He is worth everything. And there's another example a couple chapters later in Matthew 9 from verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Matthew, he left his tax booth. His business, working for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes from the people. He dropped everything, just like the fishermen. Now, fishermen and tax collectors, they have a totally different lifestyle going on, okay? These are people from two totally different socioeconomic uh, lifestyles, right? But they both, all of them, they saw, wait a second, you're God, you're the Messiah, you're worth everything. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. Nothing of this world was their priority, only Jesus. So after this, they spent a couple years with Jesus, all right? So Jesus probably didn't send his disciples out, uh, send out the 12, until at least one year into his ministry. So how does that work? From a from a teaching standpoint, they spent about a year. Jesus had masses of people that were traveling with him. So it's not that the masses would always go with him, but he had a group of people, men and women, that would travel along with him, which included the 12. Um, but then wherever he would go, people would hear that he was there, and they would come and show up. And if he while he was in the area, they would follow along while he was in the area, but then they would go back to their respective houses unless they had made a decision to follow along and join the group of his close followers. But then there came a time where Jesus went off. This is the only example in Scripture where Jesus prayed all through the night because it was an extremely important decision. And he, he from out of this all-night prayer meeting with the Father, Jesus selected the twelve that would be closest to him. And these were the twelve that he was going to send out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And included in this twelve, he knew the one in advance who would betray him. But nevertheless, he sent out Judas. He called Judas. He sent out Judas to do all the same things that everyone else did to proclaim the kingdom of God. So he sent out the twelve. He called the twelve. But by this point, they had already spent... About probably about a year with Jesus, watching Jesus, the way he taught, the way he conducted himself with people, the way he healed the sick, the way he cast out demons, all of his teachings. They had traveled around with him, and they weren't special yet. The 12 were just like everybody else, following along with Jesus, that Jesus had said, you come follow me. And this is how rabbis would travel around. Their followers, who were devoted to them and devoted to their teachings, would follow along wherever they traveled and be in service to that rabbi, whatever the rabbi needed. So they did that without being set apart as the 12 for probably about a year, learning all of the teachings of Jesus and the way that Jesus conducted himself. So, But then it came time for Jesus to select them, call them out, the 12 specifically, to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to cleanse the leper, and to raise the dead, to prove through miraculous power that Jesus was or is who he he says he is. So here's what he said when he sent the 12 out. This is from Matthew 10, starting with verse 9. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tu- tunics or sandals or staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And we've touched on this a couple of times. We just said, don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Jesus is saying, you're about to go be an ox. You're about to go take on a burden and do some work. And so, because you're doing work for the kingdom of God, you deserve your food. So, people are going to receive you into their homes, just like Jesus received hospitality. He had already shown them how he received hospitality, how he conducted himself in that. Right. So he's sending them out. You deserve your food. You're out there laboring. And so whatever they feed you, receive it as your wages for the work that you're doing. But don't pay for it with money. Don't, you know, take no money with you. This is not about money. This forced them to learn how to rely on God rather than relying on the currency of this world to rely on God and God's ability to provide for them, to trust in God's sufficiency, in God's ability to direct their steps. It forced them to rely on God, to learn how to be dependent and like little children before God the Father. It also forced them to receive hospitality from strangers, which means that they had to stay in places where they would proclaim the kingdom of God to strangers, whoever God had deemed worthy to open their home to receive the servants of his. But this prevented them from being able to pay for a hotel room and then go and hide in a hotel room that they had paid for and not do the work of the Lord. Okay? There are those of you, you get afraid, you're on the mission field, you get afraid, you get yourself a hotel room because you, you you just can't you know stand it, that it doesn't seem like God is providing for you. Okay? So no, this forced the disciples, the 12, to live in total dependence on God to provide for them, to guide their path, right? They had to learn how to rely on Him. But then later, so this is you know, later in the ministry of Jesus, and this is after the resurrection, he's sending them back out again, but he's reminding them, hey, remember when I sent you out before and you had no money and no bag and you didn't have even an extra tunic or anything? Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. So let's look at this scripture. This is from Luke 22, starting with verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. And he said to them, but now. Let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. All right, I'm not going to talk about the sword right now. That opens up a whole other can of worms that we're not going to talk about today. But he's saying, now that the resurrection has happened and Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, but he's sending his disciples out to continue to proclaim the kingdom of God. It's not, they have already learned how to be dependent on God. They're still dependent on God but taking a money bag with them now allowed them not to pay for services necessarily. They were still going to do the same pattern of receiving hospitality and proclaiming the kingdom to people who had received them into their homes, but it allowed them to be generous along the way. It allowed them to be generous to the poor that they might meet along the way. It also would allow them to stay away for longer periods of time, going wherever, the Lord would direct their steps, going, doing whatever the Lord would direct them to do so it's not it's not required that everyone give everything they own away it's not required I I recommend it if God tells you well if God tells you to do it you got to do it but you know it does teach you how to be dependent on God but God's not against money there are times when God has sent me to the nations and I literally have one dollar and62 cents in my bank account I had no idea how God was going to provide for me I didn't know anyone in the nation that God was sending me to but God was very faithful to provide for me every step of the way. There are other times when God has sent me out to the nations, and I've had I've had money in the bank. I've, I've been amply supplied, and so I have a little bit more freedom and flexibility to do whatever it is that seems right in the spirit of the Lord, of how the Lord wants me to proceed. So it's not about the money. It's about the dependence on God. Do you know how to rely on God? Do you trust in His sufficiency? Are you functioning with the currency of this world, or are you functioning in the way of faith and relying on God?